It's August 18th, 1926, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Arian, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was on this day that the weather map was televised for the very first time, but it wasn't a TV weather report as we understand it today, with a presenter standing in front of a map pointing out low pressure systems and other meteorological things, but just the map, which was in fact being beamed with only one recipient in mind. Uh, It was sent from the National Aeronautic Association in Arlington, Virginia, to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in Washington, D.C. It was only at the beginning of the same year that John Logie Baird had given his first public demonstration of a television in his laboratory in London. So altogether, this was experimental stuff. And it was a technique pioneered by Charles Francis Jenkins, who was an engineer who was an early pioneer of what were then called motion pictures by wireless. He was a proponent of mechanical television, i.e. you would have your receiver, which would be basically just like a radio, but you'd sort of attach something to it and then the pictures would end up on there. You can tell I'm not an expert in this. But it was in comparison to the emerging electrical television technology. This was actually more like an actual mechanical device um, and it could only transmit silhouettes which was a bit of a problem when Jenkins started the, what's supposed to be the US's oldest TV network. And at the beginning, it could literally only broadcast outlines. Shadow puppets. Shadow puppets, yeah. <laughs> it's not an enormous surprise, though, is it, that television came later to the weather map party than radio? Because, I mean, I know it's sort of a visual thing to see where you are on a map, obviously, but at the same time, radio, it was tried and tested even by this point in 1926 as a thing that could broadcast locally information that is relevant to people living within the transmitter region. And, you know, the thing about weather, I mean, this is, I've always been incredibly bored by listening or watching <laughs> to weather reports. But the, the thing that has made weather work for me is apps. So I now have the BBC Weather app because it tells me what the weather is, literally where I'm standing. That's what I want to know or where I'm going to be tomorrow. Right. And, you know, the wider the broadcast area, sort of the less interesting it is in a way. Well, <laughs> the, uh, the, this first televised weather forecast wasn't intended, as Aria mentioned, for the general public. It was developed for the Navy for use at sea. It's always the Navy, isn't it? It's like the OS Maps thing again. <laughs> they get all the yeah. good technology. Yeah, every sort of bit of orienteering technology we have around us was created for military means at some point. Yeah, well, the idea was that every hour, this transmission technology would be used to send the weather to this glass cylinder with the map on it. It had like an outline of a map, and then the weather would come in on red ink, and then you could just whip that off and hand it to the captain. But, you know, it Mm. certainly wouldn't make for much of a viewing spectacle. (laughs) And, I mean, coming back to that naval origin story of technology, actually, the inventor of weather weather forecasting was a guy called Admiral Robert Fitzroy, who's chiefly remembered as Charles Darwin's rather stern captain on the HMS Beagle during his famous circumnavigation of uh, the world in the 1830s. But there was no such thing as a weather forecast when Fitzroy established the Met Office in 1854. And prior to that, fishermen and farmers and so on just had to go on Red Sky at Night. Yeah, red sky at night and the movement of animals and birds and the appearance of... There's a cloud. Clouds at certain... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, really. That's kind of still my position on weather forecasting. <laughs> that has never been superseded. Yeah. Look out the window. Yeah. <laughs> 
but apparently in the early 19th century, there were a bunch of important theoretical advances about how storms functioned and how you could plot low pressure systems on maps and so on. But there was still this persistent belief that weather was fundamentally chaotic. And apparently when one MP suggested in the Commons in 1854 that scientific advances would allow them to know weather in London 24 hours beforehand, the House roared with laughter. They were just so <laughs> outraged that this would be something that was possible. So Fitzroy managed to start assembling a whole lot of extra data through this thing called the Electric Telegraph Network and began to forecast storms, specifically for people who were out at sea. But a kind of byproduct of being able to do that was that he could tell when it was going to be fair or when it was going to be blustery or whatever. And so he started giving this information to the newspapers and it quickly became hugely popular. It started in the Times um, and kind of went out from there, but people just had this appetite. Apart from you, Ollie, you're an <laughs> exception. Everyone else wanted to know what the weather was going to do. For a bonus point, do either of you know who the first forecaster was who was actually featured on television standing in front of the map? Mm, I don't know. It was the animated cartoon character Woolly Lamb. <laughs> in-person weather report. Isn't that brilliant? It's amazing, amazing that a cartoon lamb was allowed to qualify as a meteorologist. Yeah, exactly. It, it's amazing because people are like, oh, you used to have to be a qualified meteorologist and then it all went wrong. You know, they start taking, Ulrika Johnson ruined everything. No, first weather person. They're like, no, we used to read your entrails to guess the weather and now here you are telling it to us on the silver screen. How quickly did the animators have to work to get that together? They're like, quick, quick, draw the sheep. It's saying that it's going to be for, ah, oh, it's too late. There's an amazing clip, actually, that I found on YouTube, which was the first time that they had a weatherman on the Today programme, as in not the Radio 4 Today programme, but the NBC Today morning show. But basically, it's this bloke with a clip-on mic the size of a bowling pin. I'm not kidding you, like attached to his jacket. And then he's writing on a map the weather as it comes into him through a landline. So he's got like the oh, cord wow. wrapped around his neck. He's wearing this ridiculous microphone and he's penciling everything. He's saying, thank you, Roger. And what have you got for Wisconsin? And that's <laughs> like, it goes on for like seven minutes. It's extraordinary. <laughs> well, apparently it wasn't until 1954 that the BBC got its own weather person, which uh, was a guy called George Cowling. And he too used to um, do a pretty rudimentary job. Apparently they had uh, kind of a picture of the map in the background and he used charcoal to draw on it showing what was coming and what was going and where things were moving. And that wasn't updated for years and the next generation was people throwing up magnets on the screen. It's only now that we kind of know weather reports to be this all singing, all dancing CGI fest by attractive presenters in glamorous lighting, you know. I did see a piece from Nationwide in about 1975 when they gathered together as many former meteorologists as possible into one room and interviewed them all and it was just hilarious it was so 70s like they just had like enormous cuffs and collars and they were all wearing grey they all looked like Jeffrey Palmer in 40 Towers basically and um, <laughs> as the presenter went who also looked like Jeffrey Palmer in 40 Towers went along the list of everybody and spoke to them all about their job a lot of them said well I mean of course you know being a civil servant um, the showbiz aspect of meteorology wasn't really something that we were in for and I, I found it rather reassuring when I retired that nobody noticed me anymore and they all said that they all said that um, like they just weren't in it to be famous like the whole idea of being a celebrity weather forecaster was complete anathema. And it wasn't until the advent of 24-hour news stations that they started bringing in people who basically wanted to be weather presenters. Before then, it mm. was 
basically just a type of job at the Met Office. And once mm. you got promoted, you could be promoted out of TV. It was just something that yeah. you could do at a certain level. And, you know, the idea of having people who were personalities and were in it because they wanted to be on TV was something that was actually relatively recent. <laughs> There's a sort of hierarchy that goes intern TV presenter, <laughs> volcanologist or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you've got to do the time. One of the things that I wanted to find out was a good answer to the question of why Brits are so obsessed with the weather. Again, with the exception of you, Ollie, you obviously hate <laughs> the weather the and one. never want to talk about it. Um, apparently, according to a recent study that was done, uh, it was found that more than nine in 10 Brits had admitted to talking about the weather over the course of the last six hours. And 38% said that they'd talked about the weather in the last 60 minutes. I mean, that does cover us right here. But that means <laughs> that basically at any given moment, at least a third of the population in this country is either talking about the weather, has already done so or is about to do so. It's just this mad national obsession. But apparently the answer for why people are doing it is that Britain's geography makes the, the weather the way it is. It's very mild, changeable and famously unpredictable. So people want to do that, you know, talk about how it's going to change all the time, as opposed to in countries where you can depend on it to always be cold or always be hot. Yeah, the majority of the conversations I have are like, this is supposed to be summer. Like, that's basically the gist of it, isn't it? Mm. Like, yes. how, can, how can it be so cold when this is July? Or, you know, inversely, oh, it's all right for October, isn't it? <laughs> well, you've just done another thing that I discovered, which is apparently that there's a very specific format, which is that the first piece of weather-related chit-chat that's offered has to be offered in the form of a question, and the receiving person is obliged to agree with the person, whatever they've just said. <laughs> so that's how it's done correctly. This is ripped from Arian's forthcoming audiobook, How to Talk to the English 101. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a massive hit. But apparently to anthropologists, it's got something akin to the kind of physical grooming that comes <laughs> among primates. Come on, Even as Arian. I said that, it's How is this going to be? This book is not going to be a success if you carry on with these kinds of comparisons. It's going to be good in Australia. I'm just not sure it will sell very much over here. <laughs> Australian title, Why Poms Are Like Monkeys. <laughs> it's going to be huge. <laughs> Tomorrow. Honesty is one of the buzzwords of neotech. It's very like Scientology in that it has a complicated jargon. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.